Welcome back to our Brooklyn Bites. This is episode 122. It is April, it is springtime, and it's almost time for the big Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Are you gearing up for that? I don't usually. Maybe when I was younger. Yeah. But there's always Easter eggs and games you can hunt for. That's true. Do you feel like there's as many Easter eggs and games as there used to be? I feel like I don't hear about them as much, or maybe they're just so common now that it's not even considered Easter eggs anymore. I think a lot of that type of treasure hunting, hidden items, things like that, I think that's been integrated into a lot of games, into the gameplay. But mm-hmm. but real Easter eggs are things that are almost a little hidden thing that you're supposed to... Accidentally I, stumble upon. Yeah, either find by accident or, or it's the kind of thing where it's like a secret traded among friends. Like, hey, if you do this secret thing mm. you'll find this hidden room or this signature or something yeah yeah not as common as it used to be perhaps yeah do they celebrate easter on easter island <laughs> uh maybe i'm gonna say maybe okay we'll leave it as maybe all right so how was your week because i had some extra time i decided to take a look at a game that maybe would have taken a little longer than I usually take. It's an action-adventure 3D game, a little more modern than the type of games I usually play. Not your typical retro 8 or 16-bit game that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I decided to play Psychonauts, developed by Double Fine Productions. And at the time of the launch, which was back in 2005, it was published by Majesco. Who is now gone. I believe they might be. I think, actually, they're still around. They, I don't, just don't think they deal with video games anymore. I think they, they exited. The medical field, right? They definitely exited the gaming publishing yeah. business. Mm-hmm. This game originally was going to be sort of a featured game with Microsoft. I think they were looking to have this as maybe an original title on the Xbox. Okay. I, I think they were behind it. And then there were a lot of ups and downs with the production. They ended up passing on that, and they found... A publishing deal through Majesco. So plays very similarly to a mascot type of platforming game. But in this case, the main character is humanoid, sort of. Mm. <laughs> he looks a bit odd, but he's still somewhat human, at least compared to the other characters that are around him, too. Mm-hmm. He goes by the name of Raz, which is short for Rasputin. What made you choose this game? (laughs) Uh, What was your thought process? I'm wondering. uh, It's just one of those games that I've been aware of for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I've always wanted to play it, and I never put the time into it. Additionally, there is a sequel coming, so I thought I should at least know what this game is like before that sequel comes about. Also, because it's from Double Fine, it's a company that does some interesting type of games, a lot of creative type of games. And uh, I've always been interested in the stuff they put out. So this is, I feel like, the kind of their kickoff title. This was the first game that they put out. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just go back and see what it was like. Uh, plus, there was also a new game that recently came out for PlayStation VR that's been getting some attention too. Oh, that's right. Yes. And uh, I was curious about that, and I okay, and I thought, let me see what the noise was all about. Because I feel like this is a game that, when it first came out, it got a lot of critical acclaim, but it didn't do well. It didn't sell well. It didn't, no. It was not a huge system seller or anything like that. So, felt like it was worth a look. Mm -hmm. As I said, this Raz runs away from home or runs away from the circus that his family is at, and he arrives at 
the Whispering Rock Psychic Summer Camp, which is a place that trains psychonauts who are agents of mental combat. Naturally, these are kids, but nonetheless, they craft their skills at an early age in order to become psychic warriors. <laughs> Whatever natural gifts they have, it helps them cultivate it. Now, the art style is the first thing that kind of grabs me about this game. You know, the art combined with the music, the style in general. It, while it doesn't look like a Tim Burton production, it certainly feels like it aspires to be that kind of fanciful type of adventure. Uh-huh. Maybe a little bit of Nightmare Before Christmas style look. Maybe cross with a little bit of Monty Python for good measure. Definitely has its own unique style. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's aping any of those styles in particular. It never seemed like a very dark game. Mm-hmm. But I could see the Tim Burton references with like the skewed angles on like doorways and right. the shapes of walls and stuff like that. It's, yeah. Character I mean, designs. Just a general cartoon aesthetic. Uh-huh. Very stylized, very exaggerated. Okay. So I decided to play this on PC. Uh, you had a few options for playing it, but I had picked it up way back. Because uh, it was originally on what, Xbox? It was on a set of platforms, yeah, uh-huh. around, around that same okay. time. I think I might even have it on Xbox as a physical game, but I don't know where that would be right now. <laughs> PC was just the convenience factor mm. of being able to play it more immediately. Now, as an older title, I did have the option to scale it up a little bit from the original visuals, because on Xbox... I'm not sure what the maximum resolution they supported were, because at that time, most games were still 480p. So I had the option to bump it up. The PC game got patched a few years ago to include more resolutions and widescreen support, too, because the original game was 4x3. So I did have the option to play it in 16x9, mm-hmm. but I found that once the game started and a lot of the early visuals in the game were told through cutscenes, those are just video files that are on the disc, it's not done in-engine. It's not rendered in that same widescreen. Okay. So the videos end up looking very stretched. Oh, instead of keeping the original format, they would stretch it? For some That's reason, weird. I guess if you have your screen size set to be widescreen, mm-hmm. it sets the videos to fill that screen as well. It doesn't frame it in a 4x3 in the center. So I played it at 1280 by 960 in order to get a proper 4x3 rendering. Did it, did it have any CRT effects or scan lines? <laughs> no, or, nothing oh. like that. I didn't think that the widescreen really added too much. I guess the game was designed to be run 4x3 anyway. We played games 4x3 for like 30 years, sure. so there's yeah. nothing wrong with that aspect ratio. Uh-huh. It's nice if the game's visuals can be enhanced in that way, but mm-hmm. I found because the game frequently will interrupt the action with some pre-rendered stuff... I just found it too jarring to see it look normal, and then all of a sudden everything like looks very stretched. And also the videos are noticeably lower quality mm. than okay. the game engine. Mm-hmm. I guess at the time when it was done, maybe it was a closer match to what the game visually would look like. But I just didn't think it matched well the action. So the main character, Raz, escapes there and wants to learn how to train his innate psychic ability. They know he's not supposed to be there. They know that he's not signed up for this camp. But he's like, all right, we'll let you stick around until your parents show up to pick you up. Mm -hmm. But you can hang around for a little while. And you sneak into the initial training session that the other kids at the camp are being introduced to. And that's called basic braining. (laughs) 
not basic training because it's focused on mental abilities. It's so funny hearing that this game is focused around like telekinesis and that type of Mm-hmm. I always thought the game was like Psychonauts as like psychotic, more like a you know psychiatric institute kind of thing, like uh-huh. where everyone's crazy. Yeah, and this seems like it's a total different direction than what I always thought <laughs> this game was about. Well, there is an asylum later on in the game. All right, <laughs> but I could see how that might lead you to think that. I never would have ever thought that that's the direction this game was going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess, hard to tell from the cover art. Like, Raz in some kind of hypnotism pattern behind him. Yeah. Like, to indicate that he's trying to use his brain for something. But, yeah, it's pretty vague. There's really no real explanation of Mm. what it's all about. But basic braining is meant to introduce you to a lot of the basic abilities, a lot of the core mechanics of the game and how to accomplish things. Typical for any type of action platformer of that era. There's a lot of collectibles in this game. Tons of stuff to pick up and find. Loot? A lot of loot. A lot of currency. Sounds like that's right up your alley, because I know you like (laughs) Leon's loot. Well, this is a different type of loot, such as things that are called Psy Cards. When you collect... (laughs) S-I-G-H? No, P-S-I. Oh, P-S-I. Uh-huh. And that doesn't stand for pounds per square inch. It has nothing to do with pressure. It has to do with psionic abilities. Okay, yeah, got it. Uh huh. So if you collect nine of these things, you can uh, buy something at the camp store, which allows you to build this thing called a Psy Challenge Marker. That raises your ranking. So essentially, as you collect these cards, you can combine them with a Psy Core, and that will ultimately raise your cadet rank, which... As you increase them, it leads to new powers and higher abilities. Initially, these cards are collected in the process of just learning how to bounce around on trampolines and swing on trapeze bars and climb on ladders and poles and nets and things like that. I explored around the camp area. I slide down some tunnels and rails, so there's even some grinding that you do in this game on rails. Like a Tony Hawk style? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Just to get you around quicker. Sounds good. So among other things that you find are these arrowheads that are buried in the ground. You see them as a little sparkle of purple energy coming out of the ground. And you can go and dig them up. And those are made of titanium, a special element that was brought to Earth through a meteor that had crashed there that enhances psychic abilities. But initially, it is a lot to take in and try to figure out, well, what goes with what? And what do I use to do with this? The titanium arrowheads are used to buy items. Essentially, it's the currency in the game. So the more of these things that you find, you end up being able to buy various things. Mm-hmm. When I finally go to the camp area where the coach is talking to the kids and teaching them how to do certain things with their minds, I'm invited to enter the coach's mind to train. That is presented as kind of a military-style boot camp obstacle course so he says focus on my mind and he creates the scenario in his head of what i'm supposed to go through so you go through like this portal and then you suddenly you're in his mind and you're being subjected to the things that he's putting forward as training because you're in his head and because he's got this military theme going on you see things that are called figments of his imagination and these are present throughout the game In this particular case, 
They're military-themed cartoon sketches. Some of them look like floating neon signs, but you pick them up and they're just another collectible. As you fill out your book, you have like a little book that shows you what you're missing and how many are per level. And if you unlock all of them, you get certain bonuses and perks. Some of them are stationary. You can just walk up to them. Some of them are floating around in the air or moving in a pattern. But another thing you find on the various psychic levels in the game, and these things don't exist in the real world back in the camp. They exist only in the minds of the people that you're entering on the mental plane. Another thing you find is emotional baggage. In this case, it's taken very literally. Okay. It is depicted as a bag or a trunk of some kind, and it's often seen crying or some display of emotion. Mm-hmm. And it is made happy by collecting the corresponding baggage tag that is also somewhere in the level and reuniting it with the luggage. Now, are these on every level? More or less, they're on every level that happens on the mental plane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you don't see this in the real world. When you're back at the camp, mm. you wouldn't see this lying around. So I also get psychic arrowheads for helping one of the other kids. I see some of the other kids also in the training while I'm in this mode. There's a mini game where there's like a challenge to punch a series of cardboard cutouts, like a target practice range, but try to avoid hitting friendly targets. And these are just simple exercises to teach you how to fight in the game and how to navigate the environment. Now, I also collect things that are described to me as positive mental health, which is apparently necessary for my astral projection to remain stable. This actually acts as the health bar. So in other words, you have a health bar that shows how many hits you can take before you lose a life. Mm -hmm. There's also something called astral projection layers, and these are the number of lives that you have. So you have projection layers as your lives, and then this mental health to show how many heads you can take. That's your health bar. Did you find this to be complicated or? Initially it was very overwhelming. It sounds like, yeah, it does sound a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and at first I didn't realize what would be important and what's just something I can just do on the side or, you know, just happens as I play the game. Yeah. It's hard to sort of correlate what everything means when you're first put into it. Through the course of uh, going through the level, I also run into these weird little green worm plant things. I'm not really sure what they're supposed to be, but they act as teleports. So if you talk to one of these things, when you see one, he gives you the option to go back to other parts of the level if you want to repeat a certain segment. Presumably, if you didn't get all the collectibles that you wanted to get before you cleared it, you could go back without having to walk back through the level. Another challenge during this training session is to run across a field while dodging fire from a machine gunner's nest. Simple techniques just to teach you how to cover and how to shield yourself from certain things. There's also things that are called mental cobwebs. And these are shown as spider webs, but glowing with uh, an indigo kind of a look. In the glow. In the glow, if you will, although that's trademarked. So oh, they could, sorry. They, they couldn't say that. These are supposed to be in the neglected corners of the mind, as the game describes it. And they're basically another collectible, but it's not something I can get right away. Apparently, I need special equipment to be able to collect those, and that's called the Cobweb Duster. Hmm. Now, I have to buy that, though, when I hit level 20, when I'm not anywhere near that point. Some more stuff with trapeze swinging to get through the rest of the course, and this very elaborate rotating tunnel that's made of logs to 
finally get out of that training. And I earn a merit badge for completing that course, the Psychonaut merit badge. So after that part is done, more collectibles are introduced to me in the form of scavenger hunt items. And, for instance, in the lodge where I can buy certain pieces of equipment, up in the rafters is a voodoo doll. Those unlock certain perks and special things. So I make it to another portion called the GPC, which stands for Geodesic Psycho-Isolation Chamber. (laughs) This leads to a secret lab. When I ask one of the other kids if they know where the secret lab is, they say, it's on the map. It's not such a secret. So they're basically telling me to go and open my map and I'll see the location of my next So you objective. get maps for each level? Is, that how, is it an open world kind of game? Or? Um, I thought it was like an action platformer. There are levels. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the real world, you can walk around to different parts of the camp. A lot of the levels also take place in talking to the other characters and then you can enter their mind for a specific themed type of level. So a lot of times you do have a map of the real world, but you don't have a map in the psychic world. But I do find out about this secret lab, and Raz is trying to look cool. He plays it off. He says, yeah, I know where it is, but I just wanted to see if you knew where it was. I meet Sasha, who is one of the trainers at the camp, who is in this secret location. He introduces me to the Brain Tumbler, which is a special device that is used to enter my own psyche. I'm also introduced to an area called the Unconscious Collective, which is a hub in the astral plane, which can be used to step through doorways into other minds. And right now they're all closed because I haven't been to any of them yet. The only one that is available is the one to my own mind. So in the door to Raz's mind, I see the gypsy camp that he escaped from, and it leads to a monster that ends up jolting him out of it. But to get more advanced training, I have to get what's called the Marksman Learner's Permit. And this is one of the first extra abilities that I'm introduced to in the game. Gives him the ability to do ranged attacks, basically psychic bolts to attack targets with. Once I learn how to do that, I then enter the trainer, Sasha's mind. And he's got a very sort of rigid mind, very well organized. And you can see it reflected in the art of the game. Everything's very angular and very geometric. It's structured differently than the other parts that I've seen so far. He asks me to do some target practice with this new ability that I've learned. Of course, things go a bit haywire. I enter this mode where his suppression of his own emotions takes form in these creatures that are called sensors. They look like a corporate guy in a suit with like an ink stamp, supposed to represent his emotional control over his own mind. But things go crazy, and I have to fight this giant super sensor, and that's the first big boss encounter. Very weird, takes place on this big rotating cube. Once I complete that, I now have the marksman badge, which I go back into the brain tumbler to confront this monster that initially kicked me out of my own dream, the one that I saw back at the gypsy camp. Very easily defeated, but I continue to follow this bunny that shows up. Mm -hmm. He goes through this dark forest, and then I reach this kind of twisted-looking tree. It's like Alice in Wonderland kind of? A little bit. Like a twist on that? Okay. That must be what they were going for. I reach this tower, and I attempt to climb it, but the pathway is blocked. 
because I can't levitate to the top. I have to use the levitate ability. So I'm pulled out of the psychic state and I'm told I have to go see another trainer to learn levitation and earn my levitation badge from someone named Mia. So I go in the camp now, I go to the lake, Mm -hmm. talk to this trainer who's out on a raft. She introduces me to what I have to do next and learn how to to levitate. And the way that levitation works in this game, it forms what looks like a beach ball underneath the feet of Raz. Like he can walk on a ball the way... Like a clown from a circus? Yeah, almost. I think, And and I think that might be a call to his circus background because he came from some kind of carnival. Uh So maybe that's the form that it takes in his own mind. So he's got this ball that forms under his feet and allows him to roll around on the ball. And also he can bounce very high with it also speeds up his movement speed quite a lot. Once he bounces up into the air, too, he's got another maneuver where he can flip the ball up to his hands and then he can float from it like a balloon for slow gliding type of maneuvers. Now, in her mind, Mila is having this big party, which has a very Space Channel 5 look to it. Mm -hmm. She says, in order to complete the course, I have to make my way to the other side of the party, which in this scenario means I have to learn how to levitate and bounce and float. Initially, there's this big party lounge area that's in the very tall vertical shaft, and I have to learn how to maneuver onto the platforms and different things that will carry me higher. There is one part where I float into this side room where I encounter this thing called a memory vault, and this is another thing that shows up in the minds of a lot of different characters in the game. This is a thing where it's presented almost like a little Viewmaster slide segment where you see hand-drawn artwork of their old memories. And Mia is storing away some really dark stuff. Mm -hmm. Something to do with maybe an orphanage that she was in charge of and things didn't go well for the kids there. (laughs) And it seemed like she would have reacted more strongly to me finding that, but she kept her demeanor and... Her very peppy sort of personality told me to, like, just go back to the rest of the game Hmm. and continue. So I reach another area where I have to race one of the other campers. And it's just a wacky race through an obstacle course. This is still within the dance party scenario. I also have to go into this vertical air shaft where there's a big fan going in the bottom. And I have to use the floating mode to maneuver through the rest of it. Another thing that you find, and this is uh, true in all of these mental scenarios, is the figments that I mentioned before from the training ground. Here, it's very different. So all the figments tend to match the scenery that they take place in. Sometimes they look like they might be part of the furniture, but they're definitely not fully formed because they have that sort of neon glow look to them. They look like they're apart from Mm -hmm. things. So it was very tricky and challenging in this part to try to catch all of them while trying to float around in this room. They weren't all very easily accessible. So reaching the other side of the party ends me the merit badge that I was promised. Raz starts to worry about one of his other campmates. He finds that when he was talking to this kid, he had a very blank expression and wasn't responding to him. So when he leans over to him to look inside his ear, he sees that he has no brain inside his head. How would he see that? He actually physically looked into his ear. How can you see that? Well, this is a weird world. Okay. He can actually see through his ears and see that, hey, this kid has no brain. He says to Mia and she says, oh, don't worry. That's just how he is. Mm -hmm. So apparently this kid uh, doesn't seem too different from what he normally would be like, at least to the trainer. 
So I go back to the previous level where the Thorn Tower was previously not accessible. Now I'm able to balloon levitate up to the top and to find out what's going on there. So you can reach a new area now? I'm able to return back to the previous area where I wasn't able to continue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now that I have this new ability, I can then proceed. I end up noticing that this poor kid's brain that has gone missing has been mounted in what's called a brain tank. This thing starts throwing out confusion grenades, which kind of mix up my controls and makes me move in ways that I'm not supposed to be able to move or, you know, it's uncomfortable to move in. It's only vulnerable when the tank seems to rise up on its hind legs and you can see the brain underneath it and that's the time to hit it. So when the tank is destroyed, finally, I still have to fight the brain by itself. The brain is still hopping around. And so is this a big brain? Um, it's a smallish brain. Oh, Okay. Yeah. It seems larger than what would fit in a normal skull. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe because I'm still on a psychic level. It's portrayed bigger than life. At this point of the game, the main plot starts to really kick in because up to this point, it's training and like getting you comfortable with the controls and what your abilities are and so forth. There's a mysterious enemy that is revealed to be tampering with the minds of the kids at the camp. The action takes place now more in the psychic world than it does in the real world, but there's still some some real world stuff to be done too. You find that a lot of the worlds that are represented by the different characters have something to do with some issue that they might be having. Whatever is foremost on their minds is kind of reflected in the world that is created within their minds. After Raz tells one of the other kids at the camp, this girl, Lily, about the brain stealing, she ends up getting abducted by this creature called the lungfish, (laughs) which is a monster that exists in the lake at the camp. So now I have to dive down after her. I'm introduced to a bathysphere. Who? A bathysphere. What is that? That's like a diving bell. Like one of those things that divers use that go deep into the ocean. Still don't know what it is, but okay. (laughs) Never heard of it. Okay. Well, I guess uh, it's things that like oceanographers use to go Mm -hmm. really deep into the ocean. All right. I'll have to Google and look it up. (laughs) Yeah. Usually it's, uh, I think, lowered down it's not, it's not like a submarine it's basically like a little capsule that's lowered on a tether mm-hmm. deep into the ocean so mm-hmm. they could study different things i guess All right. well in this case it's used to dive down into the lake and i end up landing into this giant air pocket so there is an area that's filled with air it's like a little bubble that's maintained at the bottom of the lake there's this giant bell that i can ring which will summon this giant hideous looking fish mm-hmm the fish posts its head into the bubble and starts to attack. For once, they didn't use the fish with the bulb on its head. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, they did. Oh, they did. <laughs> Even though this is called a lungfish, which looks different, doesn't uh-huh. quite look like that, it still has that bulb hanging from its head. They love using that fish. I think it makes everything look more hideous and scary. Yeah. Well, they have those like big, sharp teeth usually. Mm-hmm. This one does too. Mm-hmm. So the way it attacks is it inhales. It's pulling all this debris in while it's doing that. And what I do is I see a box of nails going by. So I end up smashing the box so that it gets a mouthful of nails. Mm. And that will stop it from breathing in. So then it gets all violent once that happens. So it alternates between uh, inhaling all that stuff and then also exhaling a blast of uh, debris and other stuff that threatens to hit me. So now an interesting little segment happens where it starts to push the bubble. 
So now I'm forced to run along the bottom of the lake while staying within the air bubble. I have to run around like different obstacles. That was challenge. tricky. Yeah. yeah, but it's pretty doable. I mean, it's, it's not, not like instant kills if you mess up. If you mess up, you do get swamped by the water and then you have to start over. Oh, all right. But it's pretty reasonable. So the action alternates a few times where it goes into that attack where it tries to hit me with the blasts, but then it'll also push the air bubble a few times and I have to run around and try to stay within it. But ultimately, of course, it ends in a fight. This thing enters the bubble, finally. It says, all right, I'm going to attack you directly. And it actually attacks by swinging its head around and trying to smack me with that antenna bulb that's Hmm. in front of its face. So the way to combat that is to lure it near some clams that are at the bottom of the ocean so that when it swings that antenna, the clam clamps Mm -hmm. down on it and catches the antenna, and that's your chance to pummel him in the face a few times until it's finally defeated. And... Once that happens, it's determined that the fish is being mind-controlled. I use a portal on its mind to learn more about what might free it from this influence, because apparently it's being controlled externally. This next segment is probably one of my favorite parts of this game, where Raz goes into the mind of the fish, and he appears as a giant monster to the residents of what's in the mind of this creature. Mm -hmm. You see this city... And he's rampaging through the city to try to figure out what has to be done next to help this thing out. It's very humorous because you see the point of view from the citizens of the city. You see, like, news reports going on about, oh, this giant monster is attacking the city. So it's like a monster movie kind of scenario? Yeah, definitely. Like Godzilla or something? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, the, the residents of the city refer to Raz as Gogolor. That's his... That's because oh, he wears his goggles? Because he's got goggles on his head. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's apparently some faction within the city that's willing to help me for some reason. Like, I convinced them that I can help them out. So there's this whole subplot that goes on. But either way, I'm told to reach this certain island that's on the other side of the city. They control the navy of the city, and they'll align the ships in such a way that I can get to this island. Definitely a lot of fun playing through this part, though. It was awesome climbing buildings and smashing them and trying to get all the figments. A lot of the figments of imagination that I was trying to collect, they show up as neon signs on the sides of the buildings, and some of them are all the way up on top of a skyscraper. After all that part is done, I get to this island where I have to fight another costumed hero. I don't really understand the reference, but the game calls him Kochamara. But essentially, he's supposed to be the hero of the city. He's the one that's supposed to defend the city from monster attacks. And apparently, he's got control of the radio station in the city that's sending out all these waves that's keeping things under control. He attacks in a lot of humorous ways, almost like a Power Rangers-style parody. He's got attacks like Mighty Ram and Deadly Triangle Beam, but then they get more ridiculous when he starts to attack hand-to-hand. He'll attack with something called overly intricate combination or hard-to-avoid area attack. (laughs) Silly things like that. When it's all done, I'm returned back to the lake shore, and now the fish is friendly towards me because I've helped free the fish from the mental influence (laughs) that was causing him to attack, to abduct the girl originally that I went down to try to rescue. Now the fish can be used as transport to get to the other side of the lake. Mm. And when I call the fish to help me get to the other side... It says, okay, and then it swallows me. Raz feels very grossed out being put into the mouth of this fish. 
and then traveling underwater to the, the other side basically gets you to where you need to go next. Now, I also use another special item that I'm given, a piece of bacon for some reason. I didn't. I, I guess I missed the part of the game where they explain, like, why is this piece of bacon used to transport back? Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the items that I've collected need to be cashed in and then upgraded, and I needed to buy some, some extra items. All the level-ups that I did are used to grant me new abilities. Among them are pyrokinesis, which is the ability to set stuff on fire from a distance, telekinesis, you know, the ability to move objects, and also invisibility. There's a part on the submenu where it shows you all the different badges that you've earned. I also had to get back to the lodge because I had ended up passing on a few items up to this point. This cobweb duster that I was told to get is really expensive at 800 arrowheads, and up to this point I only had half of that amount. Turns out I need another special item called the dousing rod, and what this does is it's used as sort of like a divining rod where it's used to find more valuable arrowheads that are deeper underground. So you don't see them just walking around. You have to use this rod. Mm -hmm. And when you use this rod, you hear a sound like almost like a theremin type of sound that goes up and down in pitch, depending on if you're going in the right direction or not. So if you're near one of these deeper arrowheads, you try to dig them up using this device. And those are worth 50 arrowheads each. So after I'm stocked up on a bunch of those, I end up picking up this cobweb duster device and also something called the mental magnet, which draws in power-ups more effectively. So when you defeat something and a power-up is just hopping around the room, you have to chase it down to try to get it. With this magnet, everything just automatically gets pulled in towards you. So back at the lake, I go back to this area that looks like it's outside an asylum, and there's a guard outside the gates who starts talking in very conspiracy theory talk. He says a lot of things that are sentence fragments, things that don't sound like they're related. He'll start off on one thing, and then his mind wanders, and he starts talking about some other thing. And I guess it makes perfect sense to this guy, but that starts a new chapter in the game called The Milkman Conspiracy. (laughs) This level is in his mind. It is presented in a very weird world. So for one thing, it looks like a typical 1960s California suburb, Mm -hmm. very Hanna-Barbera cartoon aesthetics almost, maybe a little Jetsons, but more modern age looking, not futuristic. And one of the abilities that I get going into this level is clairvoyance, which is the ability to see through another character's eyes. So what happens is you shift your focus to some other character, and then you can use clairvoyance on them, and now you see what they see. And maybe they're looking at you, maybe they're looking at something else, but it is essential to try to get through this level to use that ability effectively. My goal here is, I'm told, to find the milkman's grave, whatever that means. As I said, this guy is a bit of a conspiracy nut. Evidence of his paranoia is everywhere in this level. You go through this neighborhood, and you see eyes peeking out through trash cans and windows. You see black helicopters flying in the sky. There's tiny cameras mounted on fire hydrants, even. So this guy, I'm sure, thinks he's being watched from all angles. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood itself is very twisted in, like, all directions. So it looks like it's floating in space, but the blocks just bend and twist in arbitrary ways, almost like... Almost like an Escher painting, but not like in an illusionary way. It's more just the geometry doesn't make sense. Like, why is it like this? 
there's secret agents everywhere. And they take the role of different workers in the neighborhood. So they might be construction workers or telephone repairmen. They will say things that that occupation would say uh, in a very kind of obvious sort of way. But really what their role is, is to gate content. Mm -hmm. So they form this dashed line around a certain area. And unless they think you're one of them, they won't let you through. So you have to find an item... Usually you have to find a special item that will convince them that you're one of them. (laughs) So, for example, there's a graveyard somewhere in the level, and you're supposed to be able to enter it if you find the flowers. You will end up appearing as if you were a grieving widow visiting the graveyard to fool the agents there. There's another interesting part in the post office area of this neighborhood where clairvoyance is used to see the code for a keypad. So there's one segment where I go to use a keypad and I don't know what the code for the keypad is, but it ends up this agent will come out of the door when I try to use it and he'll put in the code, the right code to go back into the building. So what you do is you use clairvoyance at that point to see what he's entering Uh, and that gives away the code. Also, once you go into the building... You enter a dark room where you can't see anything at all. And what you do is you use clairvoyance to connect to the security camera. And the camera can see in the dark. So while the camera is looking at the room, you can now control yourself. And you see yourself on camera as you're walking through to get the next item that you need to pick up. So apparently mental powers work on electronic equipment in this world. (laughs) I thought that was a cool twist. But eventually it leads to... The Book Depository, which is probably something connected to the JFK assassination or something to that effect. It fits in with conspiracy theories, I suppose. You have to guard yourself against a sniper. Eventually, I recover a clue to the location of the milkman by using clairvoyance on a helicopter pilot. So I actually connect to one of the helicopters that are flying around that are surveying the neighborhood. And another interesting area that I get to when I finally get to where I think the milkman's going to be, I face another character called the Den Mother. She's the leader of these Girl Scouts that have been walking around the neighborhood. They go around door to door trying to sell cookies or whatever. She's the leader of them all. And it's kind of an imaginative battle, too. Also, clairvoyance heavily used in that fight. Once I defeat her, the milkman is revealed. I won't exactly say who or what it is at this point. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Back to the real world around the grounds of this asylum area. And the next area is something that I probably found one of the least interesting parts of the game. Something called Glorious Theater. I find this uh, kind of a washed up actress type that lives there. I end up entering her mind. This is a segment that I didn't enjoy very much. It's basically a set of plays that occur within her head. I'm supposed to act as the stage director for this play and try to cause things to happen in a certain sequence and convince one of the actresses to come back to the stage because she was getting not so much stage fright, but something else was keeping her away from her performances. I just couldn't wait to get rid of this segment as quickly as possible. Why? It was like annoying to play or just boring? I wasn't interested in that part of the story and the actual mechanics that you had to employ to get things to go a certain way were kind of problematic. Mm. I just didn't find it to be interesting at all. This nasty critic that's sitting in this crowd and you have to try to make him happy to get things mm-hmm. to go right. There's a spotlight that you're supposed to flip to make the scene change a certain way. I didn't think it was good gameplay mm-hmm. here. 
So now I go on to the next area where once I'm inside the asylum, I talk to another character who seems to be acting as if he's Napoleon. This guy by the name of Fred. And it turns out his name is Fred Bonaparte. (laughs) He thinks he's related to Napoleon or he thinks he is Napoleon. I mean, when you actually talk to him, he says, I know I'm not actually Napoleon, but I feel like I have a connection. He's like either a descendant or something like that. So you enter his mind. And you see him in a battle with Napoleon over what looks like a game board. It's a giant hex grid. Mm -hmm. This is a really huge world. It's very similar to... Well, it's similar in some ways to the previous level where I was in a city. Where I was like a giant monster in a city. In this case, I can step onto the game board. And now I'm like in the world that the game board is supposed to be portraying. And it's very interesting, too, the way it works. Because... You can drop onto the board, and now you're like a smaller scale than the real world. But meanwhile, everything looks big to everything around you. But then you can focus on a house, let's say, and then shrink down even further. And now you're on the ground of the board, and you're existing within that world. Very elaborate world. You make a lot of different things happen in this level. thought it was pretty clever, a lot of it. It was kind of interesting. Like, you had to go to a house to convince a peasant to join the army of Fred, And you have to do certain things to sort of satisfy that condition, which leads to creating a piece on the board. If you do that successfully, and then you make the move of that piece, which is supposed to signify a certain part of the battle happening. Very creative. I thought that was a really good world. That was called Waterloo World. Hmm. But it took a really long time to finish up that part. I probably spent a good two hours on that part of the game. Wow. Two hours. Mm Mm-hmm. For just one level. I know, that's a lot. <laughs> Very cool, though. But I then go on to another part of the asylum where I'm talking to this painter. And his level reflects what's going on in his head. It looks like it's part of a painter's mind. It looks like it's under the effect of a black light. This level is actually called Black Velvetopia. It looks like maybe a Spanish town, but with like a splash of that Mexican Day of the Dead parade style look applied to it. There's this bull that's rampaging through the streets continuously. Like every five seconds, he comes charging down the street. So you have to navigate through this long alleyway while avoiding this bull. And the bull doesn't really hurt you. It just kind of sets you back. And you have to try to find a way forward without running into him. And the story of this painter is that he used to be a wrestler. And his heart was broken when his love went to one of the cheerleaders that are part of something related to his past or something like that. I don't know if it was at school or essentially he's trying to paint his way back to win her heart over. And to help him do that, he's also building this giant sculpture of cards. Like he's using playing cards to build like this very elaborate art piece. In order to accomplish that, I have to gather up the four queens and each of the queens are represented by the girl that he's pining for. Naturally, the Queen of Clubs, the Queen of Hearts, and so on. Each one of those cards is won by uh, encountering a wrestling match. You have to battle different characters in order to successfully get that. Is there actually wrestling? It's not true wrestling, but it's within the mechanics of the game. Your opponent will perform wrestling moves on you if Mm -hmm. they catch you. But you have to use whatever arsenal of psychic abilities you've already gotten up to this point. So there's a character called Tiger, for example. He has very tiger-like moves. He charges and slashes with his claws. There's another character called Dragon, which has fire type of attacks. There's one called Eagle, which will fly up into the air and pounce down on you. 
There's another point where I meet the matador of the town. This guy who fancies himself as the one that's going to be taking down the bull that's rampaging through the streets. And I strike a deal with him. Because of the bull rampaging, they can't put up a poster that's supposed to promote his big bullfight. So... He says, well, if you use the confusion ability, you'll be able to put this poster up and maybe we'll be able to have the bullfight like we're supposed to. So he grants me this confusion ability, which will disorient an opponent. I screwed up that part of the game for some reason. I didn't do it the way I was supposed to. And I ended up going right into the final wrestling match, which was against a character called Cobra. Okay. But I did use the confuse ability there, and that was pretty useful. That didn't cause an issue? No, it was just for an extra award, an extra oh. like bonus item. Mm-hmm. Naturally, there is a bullfight, which has some pretty interesting mechanics to it. Mm-hmm. There's a point where you have to use those spears that bullfighters use to kill the bulls. You have to use your telekinesis to like fling them into your opponent and confusion, too, to stun them. It's pretty interesting how all the different abilities that you have up to this point can be combined in different ways. Once I exit that, there is a special disguise that's used to get access to the next part. Certain items that I've collected by completing these various elements are put together in a weird way to create a disguise for myself to make a character think that I'm someone else. I move up to the upper ruins of the asylum, which is kind of a nice batch of straightforward platforming and exploration because this is in the real world it doesn't have any weird psychedelic effects other than that the building is a little warped at times but i go through the top of the building and there is ultimately an evil scientist behind all the weird stuff that's happening in the game although he's working on behalf of someone else so i won't spoil it completely by saying exactly what happens there But eventually I get to the lab where this scientist is working. The game tells me now this is the point of no return. This part point of no return. Meaning that once you start this part of the game, Uh you won't be able to return back to previous areas. Oh, I didn't know you could at any point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are certain things. Like, in other words, if you don't get every last collectible that you want to get, you could re-enter certain parts of the levels to be able to go back. So and do they warn you that, you know, once you enter this area, you can't go back? Or uh, how did you know this? The game actually said it. Oh, all right. Like, it auto-saved and said uh-huh. this is the point of no return. Okay. But I end up in an area of the game called the Meat Circus. If you've ever talked to anybody that has played this game, they will say, oh, this is this is awful. This is the worst part of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the hardest to get Frustrating. through. Frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because of what, the play mechanics or just bad design? I think it's a combination of the two. Uh-huh. It's extremely challenging, I think. So it's called the Meat Circus because it's a blending of two different minds, one of them from the circus background and another one from a butcher shop. Things kind of got jumbled together into like this weird, very meat-themed circus level. <laughs> very bizarre. At first, I have to fight this tank. A lot of interesting different mechanics that are used here. You have to do a combination of pyrokinesis and telekinesis type attacks. Eventually, I enter the big top of the circus. It starts off with one of my least favorite mechanics in games, which is the escort mission. Why do they continue to put those in games? I don't know. It's a bit of a puzzle. that, too. You have this kid, and he's chasing this little bunny. Is this the same bunny from before? It doesn't look the same. Oh, okay kind of a different style to it. Mm-hmm. This kid wants to catch this bunny, but the bunny keeps running away from him. So 
I have to use my telekinesis to grab the bunny and hold it so that the kid can catch up to it. But there are these creatures that are going after the kid. So I have to protect the kid from taking damage from these creatures, but at the same time, hold the bunny long enough for the kid to catch it. Every time the kid does catch the bunny, he floats up to a new level in this big top circus, but it's really impossible to keep up with him because he'll float up and now he's on some level that I don't, I can't even see him. I don't know where he is. I have to try to catch up to him, but meanwhile, he's being attacked while I'm trying to figure out where he is. And some of the mechanics that are used to try to find him are not that obvious. You don't know what this level looks like. So this level almost seems like it's designed for you to fail a few times until you learn where you have to go. Mm. It takes at least, I think, four different rounds of him flying away and then catching up to him again in order to complete it. So would you say that was the most challenging part of the game so far? It's either in the number one spot or the number two spot. Okay. Remains to be seen. So the next segment, very easy. Tunnel of Love, it's a quick rail skating segment where you just have to go along this roller coaster style uh, rail system and then jump over the gaps in the rail. Not too challenging. After that, the first big boss fight happens where you have to fight the Butcher Dad. Again, not too terrible. Despite being a boss battle, I think it's pretty doable. But... And then I meet the acrobat dad in the big top, and he is supposed to be a reflection of Raz's own father. He is really the worst, I think. If the previous tough segment wasn't the toughest one, this one might be. Hmm. It's all based around the idea of in the circus where the guy climbs up a really tall ladder and then dives into a pool of water. Yeah. So you start off with that, but for some reason the water level is now rising out of the tank. And it's filling up the entire circus tent. So what you have to do is climb up and stay above the water level. Another thing I should have mentioned up to this point was Raz has this irrational fear of water. The way it's represented in this game is if you fall into water, a watery hand will lunge out and try to grab him. But didn't he fall in water earlier in the game and he, it was like an air pocket? Well, he was in the air pocket. So he was safe. Oh, he wasn't okay. actually in the water. Uh-huh. He was in the diving bell, which fell into the oh, air. All right. But... It tries to snatch him a few times. Sort of, is that like the hand from Joust when you go into the lava? And the very much. Okay. Very much so, except it's made of water. Water, okay. Tries to grab him, tries to pull him under, and you have three chances to get away from it. Like, you'll jump back up into the air, and you'll try to get back on land. And if you don't make it after the third attempt, it pulls you down, and then you have to start over. Mm. In this scenario, you're challenged to try to get up onto these various trapeze and fire rings and a lot of vaguely circus-like obstacles. It forces you to stay ahead of the water level, too. Uh, eventually, you do get past it all, and I don't know, this one was really tough. I had to I had to take a break, step away from the game, because at one point, there are little mini checkpoints where if you die, you don't really lose anything. You just have to sort of start over that particular round of it. But for some reason, there was one part where I fell, and it set me all the way back to a previous checkpoint. And I was really frustrated at that point. I actually quit the game, restarted it, loaded from another save to see if that would put me back to where I was supposed to be. And I was like, all right, great. It looks like I have to start over from the beginning mm -hmm. for quitting the game. But nonetheless, I was able to get back to where I was originally and managed to get through it all. That one really tried my patience quite a bit. But 
after clearing that part, I have another boss fight, again, with the same previous boss, the butcher boss, but this time he's joined by the acrobat boss, (laughs) and they're attacking at the same time. Ends up being a slightly easier fight, I think, because I have a few more weapon options this time. The story moves forward after that fight, and another character introduces themselves into the story and gives him the ability to finally beat the boss once and for all. The two bosses merge into a new form. It's almost like a pushover. This is like really not challenging at all. Raz earns a new superpower that's able to beat this boss with no problem. But it's just not always on. But after that, the game plays out the rest of the story in mostly cutscene form and pretty much ends at that point. I think my total playtime was somewhere around 18 hours. 18? Yeah. I you were going to say like 80 or something. <laughs> it's not that type of game. Huh. I was expecting something shorter. Yeah. I, I thought it would be somewhere around 10 or so. All right. Now, did it take you that long because you went for like every secret or... I kind of didn't, though. I mean, I did, oh. I did end up getting all the secrets in some areas just because they were accessible. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely some areas where I wasn't able to finish it all 100%. Wow. I don't know. I think overall it's a kind of a fun game, um, despite the sort of extremely challenging parts. So you felt like it aged well, considering it's 12 years old now, right? It was Double Fine's first game, and I think the creative team mostly had experience in adventure games. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't the type of game that they were well-versed in. So I think they took some chances with the design, and I think it paid off in some areas and probably didn't work so well in other areas. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, I think. I really did enjoy the style of the game, even if the character designs weren't exactly to my liking. You can also add like maybe a little Adam's Family to some of the designs. Okay. And maybe some of that Rayman Raving Rabbits look. Not exactly the best look. All right, yeah. But I think definitely my favorite parts were that Lungfishopolis segment where I have to rampage onto the city. Yeah. That was kind of nice. I liked the Asylum Ruins part Mm -hmm. because it was just more pure platforming type of action. Uh, I really love the style of some of the levels, even if I didn't like the gameplay that much. Like that Black Velvetopia level was really nice to look at. And I think that Milkman Conspiracy, too, was very creative even though there were tons of opportunities to fall off of ledges and have to start over. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely the worst bits were that glorious theater and uh, the difficulty of the meat circus. The meat circus. Yeah. For sure. Also, I think targeting was a little bit of a problem in this game. There is a specific button that you're supposed to use to shift your focus to different targets. Mm -hmm. But there are times where the camera is working against you. Like you're running in a particular direction and you want to target something behind you. So you have to physically stop running and turn around and target the specific thing you want to hit. But if only you could just turn and fire, it would work very easily. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wish there was a little more auto, a little more like auto, a lock on sort of thing. Just a little more auto targeting that was happening. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times I would turn and, you know, some of your ammunition is, is limited. You don't have infinite amounts of... Mm. Uh, like the confusability, for example, you only you can only carry six confusion grenades. There are times where I only had like one or two, you know, and my target is moving in a certain way and I have to lob this grenade exactly to their location. And because I'm not like fully locked onto them and, and sometimes, sometimes they're moving very quickly. So I don't really have the opportunity to sit and pause and like really pick my targets carefully. I want to be able to just turn and throw. 
And, you know, I, I waste the grenade just throwing it into, like, empty air. And, mm. and then I have to spend time acquiring more. Things like that. I felt like that was probably the biggest flaw in the mechanics. Yeah. But that sounds more like something typical of that time period of game. Like, you know, we're maybe now we ref- we would refine stuff like that now. And, and maybe, you know... Yeah. The programmers have learned to fix mistakes like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'd be curious to see in the sequels how things are handled differently. Yeah, in the new one. So do you, did you like this game enough where you might want to play the sequel now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's worth a look. The sequel, Psychonauts 2, was announced back in December of 2015. So, it was um, a Kickstarter, wasn't it? They went through crowdfunding. They didn't do it through Kickstarter. They did okay. it through Fig, I think, one of the other ones. Oh, all right. They raised $3.3 million it's not much. Through crowdfunding, and also there's private investing being mm. done also mm. by their publisher. Uh, it is scheduled for some time in 2018, hmm. so it's still a ways off. Wow. Yeah. As I said, there was another game that was done recently called Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin. That's the PSVR game. Okay, what's that about? That's more of a point-and-click style adventure game. It's not an action platformer the way this is. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more suitable to the VR style playing but basically what it's meant to be is uh just a little interlude chapter between the two main games okay so it's a way to sort of bridge the events of the end of the last game and then the events of the new game that was released in february of 2017 that's only in vr though you can't play that without it Mm -hmm. yeah so that's playstation vr exclusive Hmm. so as far as the original game it came out on pc in april of 2005 it also came out on Xbox right around the same time. It was released two months later for PS2. I think that was poured by another company in uh, June of 2005. It ended up coming out on Mac in 2011, on Linux in 2012. And uh, it was recently released for the PlayStation 4 as a PS2 classic. So you can play the PS2 version on PS4. Oh, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Why not just port the PC version if that one looks better? It would require a full native build of the oh. game, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, this is just basically the PS2 version running under emulation. Okay. I think there was also a version for Xbox 360, similar thing. It's basically a Xbox classic of the, the original Xbox okay. game. Yeah, yeah. That like running in backwards compatibility mode right. or something. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Originally, this game, I think, was conceived as an idea that was going to be used as part of the LucasArts adventure, Full Throttle. So a lot of the people that formed Hmm. Double Fine Productions, including Tim Schafer, who was the creative director for this game, came from LucasArts. When LucasArts was starting to kind of move away from their classic adventure series, a lot of those people left and formed this Okay, and LucasArts is not around anymore, right? Yeah, as of today, they're not. Okay. They're shut down, yeah. Hmm. After the uh, Disney acquisition. So that's pretty much the game. I'd say check it out if you like these type of 3D action games. You had fun with I think it's good. I think it's very polished. I mean, in terms of production values, it's very good. The voice Uh acting is really good. It seems like they're doing some interesting new things. Mm -hmm. Definitely worth checking out. I think what turned me off about it a lot is... Because I heard really great things about it when it came out. But whenever I would see, like, videos or uh, images from it, the art style, like, kind of didn't do it for me. Right. Yeah, I could see that. But I I would kind of think that about a lot of those type of 3D platformers. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why I always like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to play this one. 
If I wasn't really into the look of the character, the, mm-hmm. your main character and stuff, but... Right. I don't know, it sort of sounds interesting, the way you're painting the mental image. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot I left out. I mean, there's, it's a very deep game. I didn't really delve into the plot really? a whole yeah. lot, okay. but there's a lot going on. Now, Awesome Knots, is that related to this game? <laughs> no. It's not? No, no okay. relation. I always thought it was. Yeah. Oh. That's a totally different type of game, too. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there you have it. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. That was pretty in-depth. <laughs> well, how about you? Anything happening this week? Wow, I didn't even get to play a game this week. I've been working like 10 plus hours a day at work, so mm-hmm. very limited time this week. But, well, I did play, I gotta admit, I, I played a little tap-tap baseball Okay. <laughs> 2017. Yeah. New but season. Was, the new season baseball started, so mm-hmm. I'm like, let me check this out this season. And uh, it was funny because I, I installed the game and I didn't realize, because I just said, oh, new baseball game. I just installed it and it was free. So, and I'm playing and I'm like, oh, this is the same game from last year that I played. And it's just updated stats and everything. Mm-hmm. And the graphics are a little bit better, but nothing drastic. Mm. Uh, so I played that a, a little bit. A couple other games, but weren't that great. So I'm not even going to talk about them, but... I bought a new iPad this week. The new iPad? It is called... It's not called the new iPad. Oh, right. Don't... You don't want to... Apple's very fussy about these things. Okay. You know, branding. It's all about branding. I've heard that. So, it's called the iPad. Mm-hmm. That's all. Just simply iPad. And, uh, I don't know if it's just iPad or the iPad. <laughs> Probably just... Mm, I don't know. Well, how about unofficially? Uh, unofficially, like- if you search for it on a website... It's usually like iPad 2017. Mm-hmm. That's okay. typically what it's called. But anyway, nothing special. It's based on the iPad Air stats. Right. They just put a better processor in there, which I actually had the iPad Air. I love it. I've been using it for four years. Mm-hmm. It didn't cost me much to upgrade to a new iPad, especially if I'm going to sell the old one. It's going to really cost me nothing. Mm-hmm. So I said, why not? Just to now have a fresh battery, faster processor, more memory. I could fit more games on this now and other things. So So far, so good. It's been sitting in my apartment all week. I got it Monday, and I didn't get a chance to open it until Friday. Okay. So I haven't spent a whole lot of time with it. So right now, it looks not like a major upgrade. It looks like the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure the speed will be noticeable as I use this more and more. Especially (laughs) because you put it in the same case and cover. Yeah, so the because it is based on the Air, which I upgraded from, the case... The cover works, but the case is not an exact fit because mm. they moved some of the buttons around. Yeah. But... It's, so it is the same dimensions. It's the same dimensions. It's just the buttons don't fit. When the back case goes around it, the buttons don't line up. Mm-hmm. So I will have to buy a new case. They just haven't... They're not available yet to purchase. Right. And I can't use this iPad without having something on it. So mm-hmm. I don't want to drop it. But uh, yeah, so I set all that up, and as anyone who has one of these things knows, you know, dealing with like iCloud transfers and all this stuff, syncing things to clone this device from what my old iPad was is sometimes a little confusing. Mm. And transferring 64 gigs over USB 2.0 takes a really long time. <laughs> I can imagine. But it's done and it's working. Mm-hmm. So, so far, so good. Yeah. Yep, and that's kind of what I did this week. Nice, very yeah. nice. At least you got your upgrade done. Uh-huh. You've been waiting for that for a long time. Well, until they come out with a real, like, new iPad Pro that has really good stats and what I'm looking for in a new iPad for me to justify 
the extra money. Because mm-hmm. whereas this really didn't cost me much to upgrade. Really, it was really free, to be honest. The new one will be some money out of my pocket. So I want it to be something really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. All right. Not bad. But while we're on the subject of buying things, Uh-oh. you know, I, I did pick up some things this week. Is that so? Yeah. Well, so let's move on to that. All right. Also, something that's been sitting in my apartment since Monday mm-hmm. and actually haven't even opened it until today. Okay. I figured if I'm going to talk about it, might as well open it. You're doing a full unboxing, are we? It's kind of an unboxing because I really didn't even look at these things yet. Mm-hmm. So let me go get them. All right. You might have seen these. These are... They're Namco arcade game replicas. They're like uh, scaled-down versions of the Japanese cabinets, uh-huh. arcade game cabinets. 1 in 12th scale, whatever that means. 1 12th scale, I don't know. It's 1 12th the size of the real thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, they're more like this fancy display pieces. Yeah. Um, they're imported from Japan, so they're a little bit pricey. Mm-hmm. A little bit pricey. I bought them on a sale, that's why I bought them. Plus, I'm an avid collector of mini arcade cabinets. Sure. So. Uh, Can't have enough of these. I, yeah, I've been wanting them since I first heard about them like six months ago, and I couldn't justify spending the money on them. But mm-hmm. when I saw the sale, I was like, you know what? These are probably going to be gone, and then I'm going to regret it. So I picked them up. They were out of stock on one of them, so I had to buy that from another location, mm-hmm. and I didn't get that one yet. But I have Pac-Man. One thing to note about Pac-Man, because these are the Japanese arcade cabinets... They are slightly different from what I remember Mm -hmm. these cabinets to look like, which is not a bad thing because I have probably a dozen Pac-Man arcade cabinets in various sizes. This does look like what I imagine the typical Pac-Man cabinet looks like. The cabinet shape is, yeah, Mm -hmm. but the marquee marquee is different different, Mm -hmm. and the side art is different as well as some of the colors are different. Like Mm -hmm. the ball top is yellow instead of, I believe, American was red. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the on-screen graphics, stuff like that. Now, these things, like I said, they don't do anything, so they're not, like, battery-operated. There's no sound effects. There's no cool-looking animation on the screen, Mm -hmm. unlike some of the recently released miniature arcade games that actually have full games in them. Um, These cost actually more than that, and they have nothing. Mm -hmm. But they do have, like, a little printout graphic of what the arcade game screen looks like. And it's cool. I don't know. I think they're neat. Yeah, it looks so, pretty authentic to me. Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, so, this Pac-Man, I have Rally X, which, uh, you know, honestly, I'm not huge Namco, like, game fans. Like, I'm not a huge fan of their old arcade games, but I definitely respect a lot of these games, and, I, you know, I did play them here and there. Rally X is cool. Here's that one. All right. And... On the cover, you say Namco Arcade Game Machine Collection. That's yeah. That's I can believe that's what they're called. The proper name. Uh, these things. Here's one of your favorites, Tank Battalion. I know. <laughs> I always see you playing this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I always hear this one mentioned in the same breath as Pac-Man. Sure, sure. It looks like combat a little bit. I, I don't. I don't think I ever played that game. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. But I'll have to check it out. Finally, this one is Galaxian. Mm-hmm. If you like Space Invaders, you'll love Galaxian. So I think the side art of Galaxian is pretty close to what we got in America. Mm-hmm. I think our cabinet was black, maybe, though. Yeah. Right? Were these cabinets all just white background in Japan? I guess maybe they were. 
if this is supposed to be an accurate I did replica. not do the research. I'm guessing, though. Yeah, I'm guessing their cabinet look was... Namco licensed their games to Atari. Mm-hmm. So Atari kind of did their own thing with the cabinets. And they did the art different and... Oh, in America? Uh, yeah, I mean, it like... It was uh, Midway, right? Bally Midway? For Pac-Man, yeah, I guess that's Pac-Man true. But, like, was, for Dig yeah. Dug was Atari. Pole Position was Atari. Oh, Pole Position was... Galaxian. I don't know who released like Galaxian. Way, but Galaxian not. also? Okay. Rally X, I think, was just Namco. I don't know who, hmm. who brought that out here. Mm. Yeah, you're so, right, though. I don't know. Don't. I could be wrong. I think it was a while before Namco themselves decided to... To get into the market and yeah, just bring like set up their here. own subsidiary or whatever. Yeah. So there's one more in the series I don't have. That's Galaga. Mm. But uh, I ended up ordering it. I found it kind of cheap online somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it should be here soon. But I think they're nice. What do you think? I think it needs a Dig Dug. A little... I know. <laughs> I know, right? Why is there no Dig Dug? Maybe that's going to be a series two. Uh-huh. I don't know what the place of Ms. Pac-Man is over in Japan. Like, because it was sort of an American hack of Pac-Man. Namco does not like to acknowledge Ms. Pac-Man. I think it's like the only one that they do include it on... Like, digital collections. Yeah, they probably don't like doing it, though. They seem to... It feels like retroactively... Like Pac-Mania and Ms. Pac-Man. They sort of shy away from those two. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping in Series 2 they have Dig Dug, Pole Position, Mm. you know, Ms. Pac-Man for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess these were the easy ones because the cabinets are more or less the same design. They're more or less the same design, but I'm glad they didn't really do exactly the same design because they kept the position of the joysticks the mm-hmm. way they're supposed to be. Right. You know, either left side or middle and the buttons are in different spots too. So mm-hmm. they're definitely unique in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're correct for what they're supposed to be representing. And and I like the fact that it is sort of like a little bit of a history thing where, you know, I'm so used to seeing the American style of how these things looked. I think it's kind of cool, especially like once I, if I set these up at some point, I'm going to take them out of the box, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Just, like, as a conversation piece. Because, like, how often do you see Japanese arcade cabinets, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not something we really remember. Of that era, too, especially. Yeah. I think by now a lot of people are aware of what the candy cabs look like. The more modern arcade games. Mm-hmm. But of this era, I think these are closer to what we're familiar with. Despite the differences in the artwork and so on. Yeah. When I first ordered them... I was going to print out my own labels mm-hmm. and make my own, like, to Americanize them. But now that I'm looking at them, I'm kind of appreciating the, the Japanese aesthetics to them mm-hmm. and, and the, ver- the, you know, the differences in artwork. So, who knows? Maybe Namco will br- bring them out in America, too, and do their own versions. I doubt it, but mm. I guess anything's possible. Yeah. But I'll probably leave them as is. <laughs> they look pretty good to me. Yeah. So that was my pickups for the week. But there was one more thing. Uh-oh. And one more thing. As Mr. Jobs would say. Uh-huh. This I did not order, but it was free in the box. So... What could this be? A pin mate? Yeah, open it up. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see what this is. You might be pleasantly surprised. can't imagine what this is. Oh, wow. This is, uh, this is interesting. This is a, <laughs> a little... What looks like a wooden figure. It looks like the old Fisher Price plastic mm-hmm. figures that had like no arms or legs. They're right. just like little stubs, but yeah. it had. Similar. But made out of wood. A little smaller, maybe. A little smaller, sure. Yeah, and for some reason, this one is wearing a, a Star Trek right. uniform. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's like a blind box kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's nothing on the box that would indicate the contents. No. 
It just says wooden figures. I thought, yeah, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, just a generic figure. And I opened it up and I saw a little Star Trek guy. I'm like, oh, all right, Leon, nice. Leon appreciate this. Cute. And it's it's a red shirt, no less. Yeah, I don't know what that means. So this looks like someone either in engineering or <laughs> or security. Okay. So it's not really anyone specific? And not specific. I mean, I guess you you could think it's Scotty if you don't look at it the right way. But, mm-hmm. but then again, this sort of V-neck... Style is a little more next generation, hmm. but definitely the insignia shows engineering. Okay. So maybe it is supposed to be Scotty. I'm not really sure. Pretty cool though. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> nice bonus item. Yeah, it was a freebie, so can't cool. complain. What about you? Anything? I see. I see a bag next to you. That's why I'm bringing it up. A bag. There's a bag. Well, I have some. Uh, let's see. I have some games. Oh, that's... I guess the bag is something else, then. The bag is something else. All right. It's been a while since I gave you an update from <laughs> Limited Run Games. Not counting... Well, it's been, about two weeks? <laughs> well, not counting the PAX East oh, okay. acquisitions. This is just off of their normal website sales. Uh-huh. What's interesting is like, the quick turnaround I got, because I, I think I ordered these, like, a week ago, and already they came, which normally is a little more lead time from them. So this is their latest batch of PS4 releases. Three titles. Mm-hmm. Among them, Pang Adventures, which I guess is a part of a series. I mean, I don't really know that it's a series, but if you remember the old game Buster Brothers, uh-huh. the old Capcom arcade game, apparently there have been follow-ups and sequels to that game. I only knew of one sequel, but who knows? I, it's not something I followed too closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, maybe the original title in Japan was Pang, and then in the U.S. it became Buster Brothers. Yeah. So there's been Pang and Super Pang and <laughs> many other Pangs. This one is called Pang Adventures. It's a remake from .mu. Yeah. I guess they've been involved in various arcade conversions and, and home versions cool. of games. This is a physical version of a game that's normally only digital. Digital, yeah. All right. Uh, another game that is part of this pickup is called Astabreed. This is some type of 3D shooter. <laughs> some type of 3D shooter. Some type uh-huh. of 3D. It, it seems to follow an arcade shooter formula, mm-hmm. but I notice a lot of shifting perspectives in the footage that I've seen. But this isn't a new game, though, right? Uh, I think it's, it's like... been around a little while, okay. but it might be somewhat newer for PS4. I think it's been on PC for a while. Okay. And um, another title is, I'm going to attempt to say this, Mitsurugi Kamui Hikai. And this is... nothing to me. This is a fighting action game featuring a schoolgirl slashing up a bunch of enemies for some reason. Right up your alley. (laughs) This seems very similar to that uh, Onicho Anbara series. Uh, Like mild pornography almost. I I don't know what the point of it is. I think it's just uh, interesting that they're choosing this particular type of game. Mm -hmm. So, for some reason, out of this sale, though, I I do keep an eye on on the sales, how they progress on their site. Uh And Astabreed sold out in, like, no time flat. Really? This game was gone in five minutes or less. How did you snag one? Well, I always, I'm always ready. You sit there, like, refreshing the page on five different browsers. My strategy is log into the site before uh, the sale goes Don't give away. Out. People are going to... It's fine. I'll All share my right. secret. I, I log into the site beforehand with my account. Mm-hmm. I also log into PayPal ahead of time before I actually have to check out. Okay. It saves an extra login step. And I think that might be helpful in the quick checkout process. 
They recently changed their site so that when you add an item to the cart, it is not reserved for you until you check out. It's basically up for grabs for whomever. So by the time you get to check out, it could be, oh, this game is sold out. Sorry. It could be. Oh, that stinks. If it's that fast. Oh, bummer. But so far, I've had good luck. In their previous system, what would happen is people would add an item to their cart and then it was kind of in limbo until Mm. they checked out. So you might get locked out at that point, but then items might come back in stock as people don't complete their checkout. So I think this system is a little more definite in terms of once you've checked out, that's when you've bought it. You know what I mean? Like that's when it's gone from inventory. Until then, it's up for grabs, which means you won't get in a situation where it's out of stock because somebody like might check out, might not, it might come back. Who knows? You know? Either way, this was the batch that I got this time around. This game, Astabreed, also did have a soundtrack, which I ended up passing on this time. I kind of previewed the soundtrack, and it didn't You're seem that interesting. Regret it? Nah, no. I don't think. I don't think I will. Was it on CD or MP or like a USB drive? Oh no, it's always on CD. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does anyone even own a CD drive anymore? Their CDs sell out too. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I, like if I had if I was given a CD, like I'd really struggle to find where I would put the CD in. You would get your USB CD DVD drive out. I have to find that, and okay. you and you'd rip it to your your yeah, library, right. I guess. Listen, we have to talk about these limited run games. <laughs> I thought you were buying just Vita limited run games. What happened? Now I now I see three PS4 games here. Well, my rule, my personal rule for this is this is becoming a problem. <laughs> I couldn't tell you where it's going to stop, but I can tell you this much. If the game is a dual release on Vita or and PS4, uh-huh. I will get the Vita version. Okay. As long as the Vita is continuing is it, to exist. But is it paying on Vita also? Because that's it on iOS. Really. It, it's not. Huh. At least they didn't do a, a version. I wonder why. I don't know why. I feel like the Vita, though, Like I'm not sure how much longer they're going to continue to put out Vita games. Hmm. So I'm going to get them while I can. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to just being PS4 only, then I'll assess and figure out, like, is this stuff I still want to continue to it's get? interesting that they chose those three games because I feel like looking at their past catalog, and I, I don't follow that company that closely, but, you know, at PAX, they gave me, like, a checklist of everything they released. Yeah. And everything, for the most part, seemed like fairly well-known, some semi-popular indie games. Yeah. But these are some real obscure games. Like, even Pang, I mean, that's like a well-known arcade classic, but that's like the Japanese version, and Mm -hmm. I felt like that came out and sort of not really was popular. Right. And the other two games, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever heard of those two. Those are really, really not well-known games, right? Oh, am I wrong? I don't know. I was a little stunned by the popularity of this Astabreed title. I don't really understand... Never heard How people knew it that well. I mean, compared to the other one. I don't know why this one would sell that much better than this one. Yeah. But it's hard to predict these... It's interesting these. that they chose those three. Yeah. I mean, they... You know, their print run varies from title to title. They don't mm-hmm. do the same number per game of every game. Like, some games might only be, let's say, 2,800 copies. And then some might be 1,500. And then some might be, you know... 5,000. They try to gauge demand. They try to figure out, like, which ones are going to be popular enough for us to justify, like, a bigger So maybe that's batch. why they sort of underproduced that one and sold that quicker? Maybe. I guess they underestimated demand on that one. Now, they're releasing Flint Hook this week. Are you going in on that one? Uh, yeah. That's a title I'm looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, so that looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So that one I would get. Okay. 
The thing is, their previous game, Curses and Chaos, mm-hmm. was Vita and PS4, and I opted for the Vita version because that's my preference. Yeah. But Flint Hook, I think, is going to be PS4 only. Only, okay. So it would have been cool to have both tribute games on PS4, but yeah. now it's going to be split between the platforms. Uh, can you go back and rebuy Curses <laughs> I don't think and so. Chaos? No. no, not unless I catch them so at that's, a sale. That's the, the thing I don't like about this company is that... I guess that's the whole point that they're limited run, but yeah, you know, in the case of this, like, all right, now you have the money and you want to go back and buy it and you can't. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a bummer. They overproduced to a certain degree just to handle replacements and, sure. and things like that. So they do have a certain amount of, they, they must have overstock. a vault, some, vault somewhere where they, well, we saw how yeah. well stocked they were at PAX. They had a lot of stuff. Yeah. And all those games on their website technically say sold out. Yeah. So I think they're purposely retaining a batch to handle customer service complaints, like if a game gets damaged or lost, they can still replace it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hold that overstock for a certain amount of time, and then they, you know, they'll they'll save it for convention appearances if they still have any left over, or they might do um, like a once a year the, Black Friday deal or something like that. The truth is, though, because they're not numbered, like individually numbered, mm. there's really no way for you to know if. When they say they do 500 copies, if they really only print 500. Right. They could always reprint more. Like, well, how would you ever know if they put more into circulation? It really depends on what Sony allows them to do as a minimum. Because mm-hmm. that's what they always say. They always say, well, we have to figure out if it's even worth the number that we're putting out. Uh-huh. You know, and, and whatever Sony allows us as our minimum. So, in other words, if they sell out of a game, they have to be willing to do another 2,000 to justify that. And then can they sell all 2000? Yeah. Cause they say that they're a small enough company that if they're really stuck, if they put out a game and only like 50% sell, then that kind of puts them underwater a little bit. They don't keep a lot of, of unsold stock around. Mm-hmm. So they say, I think the real test for me is going to be when they put out a switch game. Cause they have hinted that they might be doing a switch release this really? year. Wow. So, the question will be, will I buy a Switch release from them even though I don't own the system yet? <laughs> uh, nothing would surprise me if you did. <laughs> I can't say I can answer that with certainty right now. Uh-huh. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, my next question is, are you going to open these up to play them? <laughs> I can say Flint Hook for sure I will. You will? Okay. All right. Yeah, because I think that's a game See, that... See, that's I a def- game where I would say don't bother, because you'll probably get it on PC really cheap at some point. And then I'm double dipping, aren't I? If I buy both? Well, I mean, do you want to risk killing the value on these <laughs> games by... The value is meaningless until I choose to resell them, right? Yeah. Why would I buy them if my ultimate goal is to resell them? That's the whole point of buying these games, to resell them. <laughs> They're limited run. They're aimed towards resellers. Uh, aren't they aimed towards collectors that want to own them in the first place? Nah. <laughs> well, who's buying them then? People who are saying, oh, these are going to be worth something someday. But who are they worth really something to? If you really wanted to buy these games, you can just buy them digitally like everybody else does. Because these are digital games if, that were... If all that mattered was playing the game, then uh-huh. I would agree. If that's the ultimate goal is to just say, I want to be able to play this game and digital is the easiest and cheapest way to do it, mm-hmm. then I guess, sure, that's that's kind of true. If you appreciate owning the game in some physical form, then I suppose there's added value in that. It's only valuable because they it's such a limited amount, that's mm-hmm. why. Because if they made 10,000 copies, then right. it would have no value and it wouldn't be, even be an issue. I guess if a company like this didn't exist uh-huh. and people 
wanted a physical version of the game, but then no publisher would be willing to carry it because they say it's not worth it. It's not worth it for us to do a yeah. game that's only going to sell five thousand copies. Ninety-nine cent game, yeah. <laughs> right. That you just spend forty dollars on. Right. Well, some of these companies might say, "Well, we need to sell at least fifty thousand of a game to make it worth it our effort to print the game." Mm-hmm. I guess they're filling a void. Uh, there is a, there is apparently demand such that we uh, even at PAX East, I think we saw some other companies right that are starting to, to get yeah. in on this. Yeah. 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 I think in interviews, the guy from Limited Run even said, "Yeah, we were hoping to get this certain game, but we missed that on it. Somebody else got it." Mm. So it sounds like there's some competition, some competition in this space in the Limited Run game. <laughs> yeah, apparently yeah. so. I think what would be would sell me more on these things is if it came with something like how Indie Box does it, where they give you like little goodies with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, for instance, these like if on the disc it came with like special like director interviews or something that you couldn't get right. with, the, with the digital copy. Sort of like a DVD. Like if you watch a DVD on iTunes, you know you're just watching the movie. But if you buy the actual disc, you're getting all that you know, uncut scenes and the director commentary and all that other stuff. Right. So it's like the incentive to buy a physical copy. That's yeah. for me the selling point. Otherwise, like I prefer digital. Mm-hmm. But uh, but like you said, if it's yeah, I think Indie Box definitely does add more for the money. Uh huh. I think those games, even if you buy them individually, I mean they're cheaper if you do subscription where you pre-buy a certain month's worth. But even individual purchase for 25 that's pretty good for all the extra stuff they give you. Yeah. These are like essentially the same price and it's just a, pretty much a generic. There's no inserts in these games either, right? Some do, oh, okay. I think some don't. Mm-hmm. I think it really varies from title to title depending okay. on on what they have available to them, mm-hmm. you know, like asset-wise. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future for this holds. I I mean they said you know, they do a lot of PS4 stuff because Sony is amenable to such small runs. Mm-hmm. And I guess Vita is going to wind down at some point. Yeah. So if they want to move beyond PS4, Switch seems like a natural, depending on if they can get cooperation from Nintendo on that kind of stuff. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap up with some quick feedback. Okay. Quick feedback. Quick, quick. Raul Angel commented mm-hmm. on episode 121, saying, I just fired Duckwing Duck up on the NES Classic, and actually remember playing this back in the late 90s in an emulator. <laughs> in an emulator. He says his son watched the show, so he was somewhat familiar with it at the time. All the characters are there, but the music is questionable, he says. <laughs> interesting perspective you know we were talking about the the show a little bit darkwing duck and how maybe we were too old to yeah watch those but it seems like those shows that disney afternoon block mm-hmm. i think was kind of you know like it was at the beginning of that era where it's like oh it's kind of it's kind of hip for college-aged people to be watching cartoons still because because mm-hmm. there's something uh, i don't know about that there's something under the surface that's more mm-hmm. than that just was never hip <laughs> never you say no all right fine i don't know about that (laughs) uh he also goes on to say he got to try out subterranea the game that we were wondering about if he had a chance to play it he says he's still tripping on that game i don't know if that means in the mental way yeah i know that's um... or in the mechanical way (laughs) (laughs) he says it is very hard and saves notwithstanding definitely needs to go back to it so he is not giving up and he also gives 
a nod to the music as well, saying that he loves the music. Mm, nice. Music's good. All right. Appreciate the thoughts that you had on these games. Uh-huh. As always, stop in at facebook.com slash ourbrokenbytes. Let us know what your experiences with these games are like, uh-huh. if you've played any of them. And we're always open to hearing thoughts on past episodes, too. It doesn't have to be the latest. Yeah. I guess we'll see you next time. Okay, I'm going to go play some pangs. <laughs> it is a two-player game. 